0: Welcome
1: to the Jesus Church Podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence, to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey.
2: I'm so expectant for what God's gonna do during this time. And I don't, I just wanna get us started by go ahead and stand to your feet. We're gonna anchor ourselves in the scriptures this morning. As you can see from the stage, the teaching time is gonna look a little bit different today, but I am, you're in for a treat. I'm telling you what, God did some really fun things in the nine and you're gonna get to hear from two of my favorite people. So more to come in just a second, but let's anchor ourselves in the scriptures. This is Psalm 105, one through four. You can read along with me. It says this, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So over the last 10 weeks, our church has been on this really fun journey of exploring and discovering together what it means to live lives that are marked by undivided worship of God. We started by acknowledging at the beginning of our series with kind of this vision statement and laying this foundational reality that worship is something that we all do. Like whether we're aware of it or not, whether we're following Jesus or not, worship is something that each and every one of us do. We're hardwired for worship. Each one of us has put someone or something on the pedestal of our hearts from which we try to acquire a sense of security, satisfaction, or significance. And if you're curious at all about what that thing might be for you, Tim Keller has this really helpful litmus test for us. And it's, it's from his book, Counterfeit Gods, where he says this, whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Whatever that thing is, that's what you're worshiping. And when things like money, good grades, a job, a promotion, a partner, or a good reputation, none of which are bad in and of themselves. But when those things become the ultimate thing, they fall short in overtime. They inevitably fail us. Or as Augustine puts it so succinctly, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. I love that. So as a way for us to kind of come home to our truest selves and engage in the work of counterformation out of the ways of the world and into the ways of Jesus, in this series, Undivided Worship, we've set out to build a model that we could shape our understanding and practice of worship around. And we've set out to construct that model by looking at the lives of real people in the scriptures and asking ourselves this question, what is it? What is it that this person has come to understand about who God is in his character or his nature that has then shaped the way that they've cultivated a life of worship? So we've been looking at real people in the scriptures and their lives, what they've come to know to be true about God, and said, okay, what can we glean from that, incorporate into our life, so that we can live lives of undivided worship unto the Lord? From Moses. We learned that worship requires curiosity and courage, a willingness to allow our questions to propel us into God's presence and then to exercise the courage that's necessary to stay there with God, despite the insecurity and doubts that are sure to come. From Hannah, we learned to posture ourselves in a position of humble desperation where we let go of pretending and instead pour out our deepest desires to the Lord. From Miriam, we learned how to cultivate an undivided heart of worship by letting God's character, his unchanging character, be the confidence and the thing that we carry into our future. From David, we learned about how wholehearted worship calls us to care more about obedience to God over and against the opinions of man, which then frees us to engage in worship freely, extravagantly, undignified. From Abraham and Isaac, we saw how worship is ultimately a reflection of our relationship with God, and how without undivided trust in God, we will have not been able to enter into undivided worship of God. And last week, from Paul and Silas, we learned how when prisons of circumstance become a place worship. It actually keeps us connected to God's power and his perspective, which is a compelling witness in a world of people who are hurting and in desperate need of God's presence. So for all of those who missed a couple weeks, you don't have to listen to a 40 minute podcast. I just gave you the recap right there. Just to save you some time. Just kidding. There's some good stuff in there. So you should go back and watch if you didn't. But I don't know about you, but I have loved going on this journey with you guys. I I believe like deep in my spirit as the teaching team collaborated on this and as we've been praying into it as a staff and as a community, we really believe that there's been this invitation from God to our church, this invitation, this beckoning for us to wade into the deep end of God's love by letting go and letting Him into more and more of our lives. And it's been incredible to watch so many of you say yes to that invitation. I've watched so many of you, like Hannah, come into a Sunday, receive the ministry of tears and pour out your heart to the Lord to show up to the season of suffering or loss or whatever it is that you're experiencing and say, I'm not gonna keep this to myself and try to figure it out. I'm gonna go to the Lord with it. I've watched some of you take take steps outside of your comfort zone and say, I'm not gonna let the fear of man keep me bound. I'm gonna step out of my comfort zone so that I can engage in the freedom that I have in Jesus through undignified worship. I've watched God moving and working in this church. And I think that there's more to come. So as we close out this series today, my hope is that we really receive it as an opportunity to just keep going. My hope, my prayer is that God would just continue to stir up this community, to stir up within us a holy discontentment, a holy discontentment that says, I will not settle. I will not settle to let any other person or thing sit on the pedestal of my heart. That place is reserved for Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm praying that we will just continue to press into that reality. As a teaching team, as we were thinking about this final uh, moment to get to have together, it just didn't feel right to have this conversation without you guys getting to hear from two people who are really doing so much work, both behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, um, in leading us in what it means to, to engage in musical worship. And so I am so excited to invite a couple friends up in just a moment. Before I invite them up, I wanna give you a little context of who you're hearing from today. And there's gonna be moments in this where you're gonna wanna just like start applausing, just wait until i finish finished both and then we're gonna honor them. It's not because we're platforming a person, we only platform Jesus here, but we wanna honor the gifts that we have in our community. So, so first, we have the gift of learning today from Dr. Zylicia Finn-Aikens. Zilicia is married to Ebenezer, and they have three children. Uh, Zilicia received a master's in early childhood education, and she holds a doctorate in leadership and educational policy from Georgia State University. Zilicia has taught in literally like places all over the world, and she specializes in reflective practice cultural responsiveness and facilitating unifying spaces among diverse communities. She's held so many different roles, both inside the classroom and outside of the classroom. But on top of all of this, Zyalesia released her first music project this year entitled, That's the God I Serve. And she is the founder of Legacy Women's Empowerment and Outreach and what it is, to have her as a gift in our community, helping be a deacon and overseer of our musicians here at the church. And then secondly, this morning you get to hear from our very own worship pastor, Jordan Shutt, who I'm a big fan of. <laughs> and for the last, for the, he's been leading worship actually since he was 17 years old. He spent the last 11 years raising up future worship leaders who carry a culture of hunger and Holy Spirit dependence in their leading. Jordan's a songwriter and a producer. We've been blessed by a lot of the work that he's put into the writing as we get to sing songs that he's helped write. And I just have to say, I don't have to say, I want to say, as his wife, Jordan's not perfect. (laughs) full stop no I'm just kidding but he's the real deal and I have been so deeply and personally impacted both by him leading us as a church but in all the ways that he leads a life of worship when no one else is looking so with that will you welcome and honor Zylesia and Jordan yes Come on up, I'm gonna get situated here. And friends, I know that change is hard. Most of us don't like change, but my encouragement is don't lean out, lean into the conversation. We want you to feel like you just get to be a part of this conversation. And although it's not a normal preach, there's definitely gonna be preaching that's happening. So I encourage you keep a pen and paper out in front of you because I think there's some real gold that you're gonna get to glean from this conversation today, so. Welcome, friends. Ooh, yes. Not used to seeing you without your guitar Yeah, you neither kidding? am I. Doing good? Great. Yes, here we go. We're gonna jump in with um, a bit of a, just an easy kind of setup question so yeah. people can get to know you guys a little bit in your background. I'd love for you to share one part of your background that has shaped how you engage in worship. So maybe something people know or don't know, but what would that be? You wanna, you wanna start us off? Here? Yeah.
1: Um, hey, guys. So glad to be able to get to share. Um, so one thing that maybe some of you might not know is I actually grew up Catholic until I was 15. Uh, and then we started to go to a non-denom church. And I think one of the things that that, like, that season of life, my upbringing kind of instilled in me was this approaching God on his terms um, and a bit of like this holy reverent yeah. uh, aspect of who God is. It reminded me of like uh, Lucy in the line, the Witch in the Wardrobe. She's like asks, like, is Aslan, AKA okay, the Jesus figure, is he, uh, is he safe? And the beaver's like, by no means, of course not. But he's good, mm. and I think it instilled in me like this reality of like God as um, not necessarily safe, but really good, yeah. and uh, that we approach him on his terms. Yeah. So that's one thing that I think maybe
2: for my childhood. That's so helpful. Yeah. So, alicia
0: what about you, girl? Oh, if you're happy and you know it, clap, clap your, your hands. hands. <laughs> if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show. If you're happy and you know it, shout amen. Oh, yeah. Come on now. I won't do the verse that says jump up and down, turn around. And I won't do that. But I think about growing up in Tennessee, Mission Ridge Missionary Baptist Church where my father was the pastor and being very active in Sunday school. And these were the kids songs. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had father. I am one. Uh Oh, don't go there. Don't get us started. So let's just praise the Lord. Back it up. Turn around. Cha-cha shuffle. All of that. Those songs, right, in in that youth space gave us permission to activate the worship postures. So we had opportunity to enact worship. At the time, I didn't know that I was cultivating an understanding of what my life and relationship of worship would need to be with God. But those are my early kind of formations of worship, even though I didn't know it. And then growing older to realize that that has to be protected as we get older, right? So those powerful songs that we sang um, in Vacation Bible School and Sunday School, but holding on to the truth of those songs. I love it. I love
2: love that idea of permission giving. And I even think about the childlike faith. It's like those are the parts of that freedom or innocence as a child we don't want to lose as we continue to grow. But you're hitting on kind of this idea of the reality that we're embodied worshipers. So, so far in the series, and I love you guys over here. I'm sorry that you have to look at my back, but I just want to say hi, and I hope that... Yeah, don't take offense, love you guys. <laughs> Maybe I'll just back up just a hair here. Um, but we're talking, we haven't talked about this idea that we're embodied worshipers, right? And and so I wanna get into that a little bit of like, if we're embodied worshipers, that means our worship is so much more than just mental ascent or emotional engagement. Like it has to do, it happens in and through our bodies. And so this is super basic question, but we haven't touched on it yet of just like, Why singing? Like, why does it matter that we sing a song? What's that about? Maybe during no, that's such a good question.
1: Uh, I've got my notes notes too because I typically don't do this, so I'm just gonna you know I've got a few things I want to chat about. But um, I think one of the things that I say often is that worship is closer to surrender than it is to singing, and I think it's important to start there. But often in church context, when we use the word worship, it is correlated with interchangeably with praise and singing. Yeah. And I think that uh, it's an important thing to notice. Like it is an, an invitation to surrender and it's also an invitation into this posture of singing and being an embodied uh, yeah. worshiper. And it's both of those things. Yeah. I love it. So the question that you're asking is why singing yeah. all that? And I think of the question or the psalm that actually kind of anchors me when I think of this question is uh, Psalm 105. It says, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of his wonderful acts. And then later on, actually, Paul encourages the church in Colossae. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs of the spirit. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So in short, you could just kind of say, the scriptures command it. So that's why we sing. Yeah. <laughs> the, script, the scriptures <laughs> command it. Um, but I guess the, my question then is like, well, why then do the scriptures command us to sing? What is, what's going on behind that? Yeah. And I think uh, music has this unique way of joining our thoughts and our emotions. Mm-hmm. It joins our head and our heart. It helps us make that 18-inch journey from our head to our heart. And it moves true ideas into true realities. Yeah. So this is part of the way that we connect to God. And it's essentially reorienting us to our to this bigger story that's unfolding around us. And we yeah. get to do that as a part of community, which I think is really, really cool. And I think it's crazy. Like, you know, the, the, some of the best movies you can like think of a scene, it is always accompanied by this masterful score. Mm. And I just think that there's this, this beautiful interplay between what's being like the thought that's happening and then the emotion that it's bringing yeah. out in that as well. And yeah. I think even for me, I can think back to, Certain songs in the youth group. And you know how music can sometimes just put you in a place. Like, like Taylor you. Swift. Yes, yes. I, I mean, t- yeah.
2: I can tell, I mean, for real, how many of you guys have been on the ARIS tour? Yeah, not me. I didn't get to go. But my friend Maddie got to go. And I mean, not to out her, but lots of videos, maybe one of her included, of so many people going to the concert and they're just weeping. It's like something is happening. Like music moves us, right? I think that's kind of what you're capturing. Yes. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yes. No, our culture understands it. And I think we also understand this in different moments. And I can remember back when I was in like high school of some of the moments um, where I just remember the spirit speaking and hearing the Lord's voice for the first time, or sometimes in a in a worship moment, and it was yeah. this lyric that was like taking the gospel from an idea to a to a lived transformational like reality yeah. of my life, because it kind of moved from a concept to this yeah, emotion reality. and a reality in my life, and so I think. Um, that's one of the beautiful gifts that music can often be. It's this uh, moving emotion, like moving thoughts down into our heart and and, and true realities, you know, becoming a belief statement that we have. And so So I think that's a huge part of it. So
0: So good. Yeah.
2: So Alicia, what would you add to that? Why singing? Why is that significant?
0: So I'll give a little context about a lot of the work that I do professionally. I facilitate a lot of conversations that invite people to reflect on our identities and our subjectivities around conversations um, centered on diversity, yeah. right? And I'm always asking the Holy Spirit when I'm in professional settings, show me what, what's happening even in the spirit, mm. right? Because I don't wanna be a fragmented person. I wanna be undivided, yeah. Yeah. truly. And so I received, a a will a, say a, a revelation about music, mm. about the structure of a song as I was leading a conversation. And as we think about diversity, we're talking about more than one verse. So we were all created by our creator and our creator didn't make any mistakes. I'm dressed and adorned in beautiful melanin. I'm decorated in melanin. You are decorated in the beautiful skin textures, in the beautiful rhythm and cadences that you come adorned with. There is room for all of those narratives and all of those verses. So as we talk about diversity, our diversity and honoring the creative genius of an omnipotent God is critical to our community. Why? Because there's a value that I have for you. There's a value that I have when I lean into your verse, when I lean into your narrative, when I lean into your story. And when we look at the structure of a song, a song comes with a verse. That's your story. That's your place to tell your story. That's your place to worship God. That's your place to honor him for what God is doing in your individual life. There is room later on in the song for my verse. There's room for another verse. Sing a new song. Every day you get to write a song, but something powerful happens when we lean into the chorus. Even in this place, you can tell just about every song we do, when we get to the chorus, we take off. Why? Because there's collectivism and there's community. We've honored that individual narrative, diverse, more than one verse, all of those verses coming together, and we center with that collective chorus, with one mind, one voice. Let me say it again, one mind, one voice. One creator, one God, one song. And so I truly believe that even in the song, and we can even talk about the bridge, how we get to bridge relationships. (laughs) I can take this metaphor on and on, but just sitting in the essence of a song really, really elevates. And so let's think about that. Even when we are singing songs, I'm thinking, what was the composer? Where were they sitting in that moment? I'm leaning into their narrative but I get excited about the collectivism of the power of a chorus. And so that is the power of the song. I love
2: that. Even just coming in this morning, just was even thinking about all the different people that you guys that are coming in today, some that are inevitably experiencing mm-hmm. deep loneliness or, or, fi- or feeling lost in some way. And I feel like when we come into this space and we join our voices and we sing, it, it's like a way of taking a defiant stance against the loneliness and saying, that's not going to get the last word. And I'm going to sing out and recognize that I belong to a community. Yeah. I belong yeah. to them and I belong to the Lord. And there's a place yeah. for every voice. I love that.
1: Yeah. And I love that too. Cause I think it's actually like this, um, active reality yeah. so that when we worship, we're not passively just sitting and, and, and being entertained, but yeah. we're actually actively stepping in, yeah. bringing ourselves fully. That's why even this morning, just saying, come into the room. Like yeah. We get to bring our whole selves and that doesn't mean it detracts from the glory of God. It actually helps us like lean into that reality and yeah. see God for who he is. Yeah. And then uh, we get to encounter him as opposed to just be entertained. Yeah. Like There's a difference between those two mm-hmm. things. And I think there's the invitation to actively participate in yeah. worship, to come
0: yeah. fully into the room.
2: I love it, invitation into participation. Yeah. Did you want to add to
0: that? I was thinking about yeah. the power of corporate singing. Yeah. Right? Some of us are shower singers. Amen. Some of us are shower singers, and, and he receives that song. But when <laughs> we come in here, and we have a corporate anointing yeah. on the singing, and I think it's a corporate space, but we get to cooperate with what God is doing in our individual lives. Yeah. And we get to create, as you say, a, a space that is, that is healing a space that is restorative, a space that is liberating. I'm going to pull from Brock this morning when he talked about the power of a relationship of worship that is also liberating. And so there's a corporate space that we get to lean into. And in that corporate space, we're cooperating with the Holy Spirit is doing in each of our lives. I
2: love it. I love it. The other part of this question that I'd love for you guys to speak to is, uh, the the engagement of our actual bodies in worship. You know, it's no secret that when we come into this space, we really encourage people to engage their bodies when we sing and when we engage in musical worship. And I'd love for you guys just to speak to that a little bit of like, why do we encourage that? Is it, should we be afraid of the danger of distraction? Um, I'd love for you to just speak to that a little bit. You wanna kick us off this time, Alicia?
0: Yo, the danger of distraction. Whoa. <laughs> or more so just yeah. like,
2: yeah, our expression in worship. Talk this about Absolutely. that.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, I often, I'm a big fan of any percussionist. Are there any? Our drummers, our percussionists. Come on, I need you to, I need you to rep. I need you to represent. <laughs> so I, like, literally zone in. I hear many people say, oh, I don't have rhythm, and I don't dance, and I don't, and this is not about dancing. But I'm gonna push back when we say we don't have rhythm. Why?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I can change it with just a move.
2: Mm.
0: Let's all just tap into your rhythm. Mm. Just tap into that rhythm. We're equipped with a pulse and a heartbeat and a cadence which is powerful and beautiful. I love to hear the drums because they drive. They give us a driving momentum for the work that we get to do as we lean into worship. Mm-hmm. And we've all been created and we all embody. We're walking rhythm. Without rhythm and pulse, you're dead. <laughs> That's the reality. Yeah. And so even with that, our hearts create a dance for us. Yeah. We get to step into that in the church. I think about in Luke when Jesus rides into uh, Jerusalem and Jesus rides in on a donkey. And the, the disciples and followers are shabaking, praising mm. with a loud voice. Yeah. Then the Pharisees pull Jesus to the side. And I tell people, I believe Jesus has swag. My Jesus has swag. <laughs> he is humble, he is meek, and Jesus has swag. Just take that note,
2: Jesus.
0: He's cool. And the Pharisees are saying to Jesus, you, you, you need to shut them down. They're, 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 they're being indignant. They're, 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 they're not conforming to the status quo. And Jesus says to them, their worship, their praise of me is so important. And I'm going to get mine. Hmm. If they don't do it, the rocks will do it. Hmm. The rocks will cry out in my name. The rocks will honor me. And I made up in my mind, this is just Zilesia. I don't want a rock praising God for me. And so this is my stone, my stress stone. So I'm going to put the stress stone there. I went and got a rock this morning. Why? We get to live out because Jesus has declared that the worship, the praise, and we could dig into the nuances of worship and praise. We're not saying that they're synonymous. That's for another time. But we are saying that we get to embody that, and God wants the worship and the praise why? Because He is due His honor, not on the basis of what He does for you, but just on the basis of He is that that I am. Yeah, and yeah. so the rocks don't get to dance and cry for us here at Jesus, we get to do that ourselves.
2: Yeah, yeah. that's so good.
1: Yes, I love that because I think also. I'm just thinking back to the moments in Scripture, and I love that you bring up the Pharisees and the disciples, yeah. and just the people, the crowds. And I just, I'm always struck by these moments when uh, Jesus is met by someone like grabbing his the hem of his like yeah. robe, or when uh, a woman just comes in and just breaks an alabaster jar and starts to annoy his feet. I think yeah. there's just these moments in Scripture that we see where there's like a break in maybe this idea of like what is excellent, what is noble, what is right, you know, yeah. whatever that is. And these real moments. And I think you should just learn so much about like the currency of the kingdom because Jesus is like, no, this is good. Yeah. Like it's good that like Mary sits at my feet. It's good yeah. that uh, these different moments happen. And I think sometimes in our culture, uh, we prioritize an idea of excellence. And I think it's seeped its way into the church as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Where, you know, we value excellence, we value things going well, we want, you know, to encounter the presence of God together, but I think there's just a shift that is happening, and a shift that happened in Jesus' life when there was this extravagant praise, an extravagance that was poured out. It wasn't just this excellent thing defined by the cultural norm, but it was actually this moment where it was actually like, wow, this is a bit messy yeah. This is a bit not what we expected. Yeah. And uh, and Jesus honors that. And he says, no, this is right. This is what yeah. it means to praise. And I just think that there's an invitation even there for mm. us to church. Um, to I think there's risk involved in that. And I think yeah. there's like leaning in and it getting a little messy and it not being polished yeah. uh, and being honest. And so I think that there's like uh, this beauty and mm. when we worship and we come before him and we just actually pour out the real things that are going on and then yeah. we acknowledge it. I think, in, you know, when when... The prodigal son, when the father is running out to him, like God is doing that. Mm. Like he's moving towards us in a way that's undignified. It's like culturally that wasn't cool, that wasn't okay. And he's moving towards us in that way. And I think the response is to move towards him in that way as well. Again, extravagance over excellence.
0: Yes. Absolutely. I think about those spaces where, um, and and let's look at a king, right? We often go to King David, Hmm. who dared to offer up uh, a, a righteous praise, which was perceived by human eyes being undignified. And we often go to that space, but laying down a reputation, Hmm. not being afraid to be criticized, not being afraid to get after it, Mm. telling somebody, get out of my way. I want to get closer to my creator. I want to lean in closer to my creator, and I often think as we talk about culture, who sets cultural norms, right? We often look to those who are in, in power, whether they're politicians, whether they're celebrities, whether they're news anchors, whoever it is that we look to, that as a society, we've given the opportunity, given the privilege for those individuals to set those cultural norms, and those cultural norms are really anti-cultural, antithetical to the true culture of Christianity, Right. And so how do we recognize that and even examine ourselves to say, oh, am I following a trend? Because this has been set yeah. as what is expected, what is yeah. status quo. But does it really, really follow suit with the privilege that we have as true worshipers? Yeah. The privilege that we have as true worshipers not worrying about our reputation. Reputation be gone. I'm really just worried about getting closer to God. That's the reputation.
2: That is so good. Yeah, I think that's just a helpful word for us of like, we're going to keep encouraging you to lean in and to express yourself in worship, not for the sake of just being an expressive worship culture, but because we want uh, the scriptures to set the precedent for how we show up not the cultural norms. And so if we're looking at the scriptures and the examples that we have there, what it's moving us towards, what I'm hearing you guys say is like, so it, it, it's a sacrifice of praise. Yeah, it's moving yes. outside of staying confined to your comfort zone. And it's saying, no, I'm gonna let the pages of scripture, the example of God, I love that prodigal son example to help dictate the way that we show up to this space. Yes, yeah. That's so good. And it makes
1: this space uh, want to practice.
2: Yeah. You
1: know, yeah. it's like this is a space that we actually get to step into that and like let yeah. go of that fear. Yeah. Because if we can't do that in church, then how am I ever going to do that with my neighbor, right. you know, I that, that I live next to? You know? Yeah. So I think there's this it allows this place to just become a place of practice. Yeah.
0: It is a I place of practice. It's also a place where um, we want to be careful. We don't want to be performative, but yes. we also don't want that to become a rationale or, or an excuse for not digging yeah. in. Yeah. Right. We don't want to be performative. We want to be authentic. We yes. want to be yes. true. But we also don't want our desire to not be performative to hinder us from <laughs> yeah. stepping in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. a tongue so twister. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: yeah. So and, and so when we wrap our brains around that, truly, what does that mean for each of us individually? Mm-hmm. And I think about the Pharisee space. Sometimes I, I have to call myself out. Um, I'm convicted because if you've ever sat close to my family... See, you're laughing. (laughs) I'm going to make sure my family, we're going to start sitting in every section. I have a kiddo that is very expressive and extremely loud. Somebody said, yeah, I got an amen. Right. And there are times when I'm wondering, is this distracting to others? And so I start focusing on him when he's getting after it. And I, you know, almost want to kind of ask him to reel it in, but I'm looking at him. He's all in this kid who's nine years old going for it. I could be praying God stir up within my child. Hmm. I'm not praying that. What I am doing now is trying to connect to it. And the Holy Spirit said to me, if he's too loud, maybe that's not the case. Maybe others are too soft. Yeah. So then I start singing even louder. And then my whole row just ends up yelling. (laughs) And then we got this crew up here, the amen crew. And so with that being said, it's just us leaning in in the space. And I'm also going to encourage our our young people. If you are considering yourself a young person, please raise your... See? (laughs) Worship in spirit and truth. (laughs) But for our young people, get after it. Get after it. Keep that energy that you had in camp. Use it on your jobs. I'm talking to all of us, but my heart right now is just really to encourage our young people because the trends of society are coming to captivate Mm. that innocence and that joy that you have. Protect it. Worship. Praise. Let's get after it together. That's so good.
2: Yes. Yes. I love that. And the other thing that it makes you think about is I think sometimes we're, we're very much living in this age of authenticity of like, if I don't feel like doing something, then maybe it's not true. But I think this really is an invitation of like, if I waited until I felt like surrendering before I surrendered, I don't know if I'd ever surrender. So engaging my body and, and actively opening up my hands is like a way of, of my body reminding my heart to let it go, to offer it up. So I think that, yeah, keeping in mind that we're embodied worshipers is really helpful. We're gonna close out with this last question, okay? So I just want you guys to share from your life, your experience, you've dedicated so many years to like living a life of worship and then leading people in musical worship. I'd love just to hear from you guys a couple of key ingredients that you would say go into cultivating a life of worship. So we'll start with you, Jay.
1: Um, one of the things I like to say is that, uh, worship is really prayer just put to melody. It's the same language, just Mm -hmm. different tone, pitch, inflection. And I think, um, often I think of this verse in Matthew when it says, go into your, what did you say? I got it right here. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Mm-hmm. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I think prayer and worship are so yeah. closely connected because yeah. genuinely it's the same language, just different tone. Yeah. And I think you could kind of put worship into that same place. And so I think my encouragement, and this has been so helpful for me, Ryan, uh, my mentor, was just like, you know, hey, if your most worshipful moments are on a stage or a platform, be careful. And that's just always something that's stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, if your worship is, and your most powerful moments of worship are around a bunch of people. I think that there's a place for that. That is so important and so yeah. powerful. It's the community of church. I think that's why we gather. Mm. But there's also those moments of just like intentional quiet closing the door worship moments and those have been the moments that have sustained my relationship yeah. those have been the moments that have actually anchored me into the moments when like hey this didn't actually go well maybe i messed up <laughs> or yeah. uh whatever and it's like at the end of the day it doesn't really matter like yeah. we're prioritizing that and so i think that's one thing honestly for us thursday nights for our team as a rehearsal have become that like there's no one in this building Besides our team just singing, it's an empty room and we're just getting into praise and worship. And it's, that's a beautiful moment of recentering around that idea.
2: Yeah. So, so key ingredient for yeah. you is the secret, secret place. place. Yeah. I love that. see so, what about you? So, a couple of things
0: are coming up. First, I'm thinking about um, a relational capacity yeah. around worship. There's this is an account in scriptures where Jesus is fasted, Satan comes into him in this vulnerable space. And says, if you bow down and worship me, hmm. I'll give you oh, yeah. the vastness of like, the mountains and hmm. I'll give you the valleys. I'll give you. How are you going to give Jesus was already Jesus? <laughs> yeah. But it just capitulates for me the desire that Satan has. If there's a bodacious audacity to tempt Jesus to seek the worship of the savior of the world, he'll come after my worship. Yeah.
2: Mm.
0: He'll come after your worship. And he'll come after the worship in many ways. Whatever we mm. heed to, mm-hmm. right? There's an element, if we're not careful and disciplined and mm. leaning into each other in community, mm-hmm. that we could give heed to seducing spirits, whatever those spirits are, yeah. right? We know what our, I know what my stuff is. I don't know about you. I got some messy, ugly stuff, Mm. right? In this flesh that I to live in, that I've been saved and that I've been reconciled to Christ. But this, I have to call it out every day, almost every minute. Might have to call it out in one (laughs) o'clock. But the reality is when we step into the reality of Jesus's truth, We understand that we have to come and worship in truth and in spirit. Our God is a spirit and we get to worship in spirit. So I often love when we are in this space we say, come Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. come. We're not just saying that. We literally, I had to do that this morning. I had a distraction before coming to church and I had to kind of dig through the weeds to say, Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. come. I cannot do this outside of you. I don't want to do this if I can't lean into you, if you don't carry me through this. And just that, Conscientious effort, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit just wants an invitation. Yeah. So if you're interested in right, a, taking that worship first it's relational. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Satan says, if you do this, Jesus, then I'll give. Worship is not transactional. There's no, if you worship, then God will do that. Get God is love. He loves you. Mm. Your worship is not conditional. Your worship is transformational. Mm. And he gets the worship if he does nothing else. And we know he'll keep doing it. Just because he is who he is, just because he is the great I am, Mm. that's why we worship. And then we get to cultivate a lifestyle of worship so that we can really begin to identify, oh, God is working here. God is doing this and he gets that. Glory that an omnipotent and an omniscient creator deserves. So I think about spirit and in truth. I think about the fact that I can't come to him like I'm going to the business. If you give me a loan, then I'll. If you do this, then I'll. I can't come to him like I would go to Ebenezer. If you do this, Eben, then I'll do that. (laughs) He's not here today. That's my husband. God doesn't work like that. He's going to love on us because he is love. But we worship him because He deserves it.
1: Yeah,
2: that's yeah. good. I love that word, it's not transactional, it's transformational, that's so good. The other thing that it reminds me of that I think is a key ingredient, this has been something that I feel like in this last year, the Lord has been leading me deeper and deeper into the gift of confession. Because I think a key ingredient to cultivating a life of worship has to do with recognizing our need, our neediness before God. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of God. And so I think that key ingredient of staying aware of how much we need God puts us in a position of dependence and in that position of dependence of open-handedness before the Lord we're then able to receive the gift of his grace able to receive the power of his presence that he has promised but so often we miss because we think we can do it in and of ourselves So I just, as we move now into a time of response, I'm just so grateful that we have these two and so many others who are helping lead and shape us into a people that worships extravagantly. And I love that word that Jordan gave of seeing this space as a place to practice. I hope that you take that with you and you make good on that invitation to see this space as an opportunity to practice stepping outside of the confines of your comfort zone as a way to say, no, I'm not going to be bound by the fear that the enemy would love to hold me captive to. Instead, I'm going to lay down my reputation. I'm going to put aside the fear of man and I'm going to obediently engage my whole body, mind, and soul in worship because he is worthy. Yes, Yes. that is the people he is growing us into. And I just say, yes and amen to that. Last word, yes.
0: When you talk about that place of practice, it is powerful but I also want us to understand that He honors it. You know, Mm -hmm. let's not assign it to the practice that, you know, when we're practicing for for a baseball game or a softball game or a tournament, He sees that practice as pursuit.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's good. good.
0: He sees your practice as tangible pursuit, and He honors it. And then that's when the Holy Spirit steps into that practice space. And it really does ignite the heart of God. So
1: good. And I would even, I love that. If I could have one more thing too. Go for it. I just think like sometimes we sing about revival and we yeah. sing about these big concepts and these ideas. And I just yeah. think that this, if we're able to like first acknowledge the idols of our heart, yeah. And to like do the inner work in this place and bring those before Jesus and to partner with the Spirit and turn those down, I think that we'll start to see some of those things unfold just as a byproduct. Yeah. I think sometimes we we look big mm-hmm. when it's just like the, what we really need to start doing is like more of an internal like yeah. diagnosis and then yeah. just offer that to Jesus. Yeah. And if that this place looked like a bunch of people coming humbly before God, acknowledging. Our lack and acknowledging, maybe even just some of the things that we've put uh, on the pedestal of our life. It could be good things, even. But if we were to bring those things and just partner with the Spirit and ask, God, like, forgive me. And then see the renewal and the revival come about, not just in us, but in this church, in our city.
2: I love that. I think it was Ruth Haley Barton who said, The greatest gift that we can offer the world is our transforming self.
1: Yes. And so
2: we're going to enter into that right now. Worship, it's not transaction, it's transformational. So would you just stand to your feet with us?
0: Thanks for listening.
1: For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at JesusChurch.org.